0: Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke as we look at uh, what Luke has to tell us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And today we come to a very famous passage in Scripture, the temptation of Christ. Uh, And we're going to see a number of things today. uh, But as you're turning there, I do want to note that we've had some uh, technological difficulties this morning, so we probably won't have much on the slides behind me today. Um, I did post my outline for you note takers on Facebook, okay, so if, if you're like a type A personality and, and you've got to have the notes and you've got to know where it's coming from and such, that is on Facebook for you on our page, so you can get that from there. Um, don't go browsing Facebook, you know, if, if you want to grab it real quick and paste it in a note, that's fine. Um, you know, Cameron and I were joking this weekend, you know, whenever we tell people to open their Bibles on Sunday mornings, it might be good to say, would you open your Bibles with me to such and such passage? And as you do, knowing that you're turning there on your phone and probably not a paper Bible, why don't you go ahead and put your phone in airplane mode? Um, and, <laughs> and so, if you know that'll keep you from the temptation to be on Facebook instead of listening to what God has to say to you this morning, go ahead and do that. I think that would be a great and, and uh, timely, timely word for us thinking about temptation. So, Um but uh I'll I'll try and be clear with the points as as I'm going. Uh and you can follow along, those notes are there available for you online as well. Um 2019 was a hard year. Uh it was a hard year for me and my wife. Uh maybe it was for you as well. Um I I was just thinking this morning about just some of the things that happened in twenty nineteen. Uh some of the things that we experienced, some of the things that we walked through. And, and how difficult of a year it was. And, and, I, and I had to write some of them down because there was so much that happened. And, and I couldn't even write it all down as I was kind of listing it out. You know, in, in 2019, we, we walked with more people who had experienced the horrors of abuse and, and suffering in their home life than I would ever have wanted to in five to ten years. All in one year. And and don't get me wrong, it it was an incredible privilege to to walk with hurting people in that way, and and one that I still count a privilege. But it's hard. It's hard to see the things that Satan and sin can do to a family and to people. It's, It's hard to see the ways in which he steals, kills, and destroys in real life. In two thousand and nineteen uh, we had a, we had a niece born my brother in law and his wife uh, had a beautiful baby girl uh, and and that first day it was just filled with so much celebration and and joy uh, for our family and then And then, the next day she started having seizures and all sorts of things started to go wrong and and that week was leading up to Easter and so we spent. Easter weekend in St. Louis, Missouri, and the NICU at the Children's Hospital just terrified for her and not knowing what was going to happen. And, and I don't know if you know much about uh, Easter Sundays for, for pastors and churches, but e- e- Easter Sunday is kind of like Super Bowl Sunday okay, for ministry. Okay, it's, it's the biggest day of the ministry calendar year. And so we're spending Easter Sunday and Good Friday, we're spending that weekend terrified, thinking that our newborn niece is going to lose her life and uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are going to be devastated and our whole family is going to be devastated and not knowing what to do and why God is doing this. And, and then we're, we're also longing to be able to be here with all of you and, and missing, missing that huge weekend and all that God was going to do and, and just hating that. And then so, so we're live streaming the service from St. Louis where we're, we're just terrified and heartbroken and, and we're live streaming the service and all of a sudden there's a medical emergency here during the service. And we just look up at God and we're like, what are you doing? Like, what is happening? And, and this was just kind of how our year went. You know, in 2019, my, my grandmother on my mom's side died and I had to preach her funeral uh, and, and it was a hard funeral because so many people on that side of the family ha- have no concept of knowing what it is to know Christ and walk with him. And and they're heartbroken. And, and it was hard. It would have been hard without some of those dynamics. In 2019, I had loved ones that... That were headed for divorce. And then I had loved ones who actually got divorced and, and saw their marriages torn apart. I, I had friends who, who fell into sin and almost destroyed their families and their lives. I had, uh, you know, I had people that I looked up to in the faith that I had benefited from that abandoned the faith entirely in 2019. And, and in 2019, you know, kind of the, the stresses of life and ministry and work and, and all these things, at some points, I, you know, too often that I'm ashamed to say, I let the pressure get to me, and, and I, let it, I let it make me more concerned with, with pleasing people and doing the right things in ministry than I was about prioritizing my wife, like Jesus does his bride, so 2019 for us was just hard. It was a hard year. It was filled with trials and different kinds of temptations. And maybe 2019 was like that for you. Maybe 2019 wasn't like that for you, but maybe 2020 will be. It's kind of a hard thought, isn't it? see, life in this post-Genesis 3 broken world that is so impacted by sin that, as Pastor Cameron was noting earlier, we experience temptation in all sorts of ways, internally with our own hearts that deceive us, uh, externally from the world and its pressures, and then even supernaturally from an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy that which is good and true, that which is life and lasting, that which is joy-filled. And so we are just left in places sometimes where we are dealing with these things in a very real way. And so I want that to set up how we look at what Jesus does, how he handles temptation, and then ultimately, not just what he has to teach us about dealing with temptation, but how he points us to what he's done on our behalf. So look with me at Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to read it for us, and then we'll kind of walk through it together here's what Luke's write, Luke writes for us about the temptation of Christ and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days and when they were ended he was hungry understatement of the year right And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Would you pray with me one more time? (laughs) Father God, we are in such desperate need of you. We're in desperate need of your son and all that he's done, fighting temptation on our behalf and and then ultimately laying down his life for us, that we might have life in you. And so, God, I ask that your spirit would lead us this morning. God, that he would help us to see clearly what it is you would have to say to us from your word, no matter the trials we're experiencing now, no matter the trials we're headed for in the future, no matter the trials we're coming out of now and just now, finally getting some relief. God, would your spirit fill us and lead us God, would you lead us through for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So have you ever wondered why God lets us experience trials and temptations? I mean, when we're going through the thick of it, when we're in the muck and the mire, when we're experiencing suffering, when we're experiencing temptation, when we're experiencing these trials of, of varying kinds, as James says, have you ever just looked up and said, why, why is God doing this? Why is he letting this happen? What is God up to when life gets difficult? Is there a reason for it? Is he with us in it? And, and will it ever end? These are some of the questions we, we ask in our hearts. And in the midst of these temptations, these trials, this suffering, this pain, we, that's so constant, we, we wonder why? We may think that God is displeased with us, and that's why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. We may just think that God is not with us, and that's why we're walking through what we're walking through. We may even think that God is not actually in control, and that's why what is happening is happening right now. See, these are the furthest things from the truth. And and I hope we'll see that clearly today as we walk through this passage together. We're going to look at four things. We're going to see that temptation happens to everyone. We're going to see that temptation has spiritual purposes, that temptation is fought with God's word, and that temptation is temporary and timely. Look with me at verses one and two as we see that temptation happens to everyone. Everyone says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And so, so what are temptations? What are, what are we talking about when we say that word? Because sometimes I, I think the, the, the things that we have in mind are, are a little too narrow, Because temptations, they're simply trials. A temptation, temptations are trials of varying kinds. They're they're of different kinds that that test us and then lead us in a certain direction. They either lead us closer to or further from the Lord. They either draw us in and reliance on God and his spirit as he leads us through, or or they tend to have this effect where we, we walk away From God's spirit and where he's leading us. And so thinking about temptations this way, there's there's a few implications of that. That that temptations are of wide variety. They include different kinds of trials. And so we tend to think of temptation in terms of, of lust a lot of the times primarily. But temptation is so much broader than that. Temptation is not just limited to the desires of our heart that have gone awry, but it also includes the things we experience in the world, the suffering and the pain we walk through. It also includes the supernatural uh, temptations of the enemy that assault us uh, oftentimes in unnoticed ways, ways that we're unaware of but are still present. We also have to note that temptation uh, temptations are, are this kind of testing ground where, where something is made to be produced. There's, there's results of temptations that are either positive or negative. And so, so if this is what temptations are, then, then we have to ask, who experiences temptation? And the answer is everyone. Every single one of us, you and I, we experience this. Every human being in the history of humanity has experienced this. Temptation is not just something that the drug addict or the adulterer experiences. It's not just something that the embezzler or the gambler experiences. Temptation is something that every one of us experiences. These kinds of trials are things that we walk through on a daily basis. The righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, the good and the evil. We all experience temptation Not just all of us, but even Jesus experienced temptation. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And so Jesus himself experienced and walked through temptations and trials in life. In fact, God's Spirit was with him and leading him through it all. And so we have to note that, I mean, we just read in Luke chapter 3 these last couple weeks that God was pleased with his son. At Jesus' baptism, we see the spirit descend on him, and then this voice comes from heaven from the Father that says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so when we experience temptation and trial in life, it's not that God is displeased with us. He was pleased with his son, and his son walked through temptations and trials. We also have to note that God was certainly present with his son, as we saw in Luke 3, when the Spirit descended upon him. And then in Luke 4, as the Spirit even leads him and, and fills him. So it's not that God is not with us in our temptations and trials, because he is. It's not that God is not in control. Did you see that the Holy Spirit is, is leading this experience? The Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness where the devil is going to tempt him and where he's going to experience hunger and and exhaustion. The Spirit of God is in control this entire time. And so it's not that God is not in control when we're tempted and tried in life. In fact, Oftentimes, as we walk with God, God is pleased with us, God is present with us, and God is in control, leading us through it all, just as he does his son here. You see, bad things can be from the enemy, and they can be bad, they can be evil, they can be out for your destruction, and they can still be a part of God's good plan for your life. Evil, Satan, sin, temptation, trials, none of it is sovereign over God. God is in control and leading us through these things. In Romans chapter 8, we we read some beautiful promises. and, And I just encourage you to go back maybe later today and read that whole chapter and notice how much Paul talks about the Spirit In this chapter. But here's here's what we read in Romans chapter 8, just a few verses. Uh, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, listen to this part, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Spirit of God is very involved in your suffering in life. He's very... Intentional about the things that he's doing, even as the enemy, even as sin, even as these forces are at work that seek our destruction, God's spirit is with us, leading us, and guiding us through it all, using it and, and walking us through for that, that future time when we experience a glory that's to be revealed that is not even worth comparing with the significance of the suffering we feel now you know that? Your future hope is so much greater than anything you're walking through right now, no matter how intense it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter how constant it is, that future hope is so much greater that it's not even worth being compared. This is what the Spirit is leading us through all of this for this, for this hope that lasts, for this hope that is greater. There's hope that we have in the person and work of Christ that lasts for eternity. Paul goes on and he says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So when we're tempted and tried, God's Spirit helps us in those moments. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know what God's Word just said? It just said that God himself prays for you that God's own spirit intercedes on your behalf. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, then God's spirit is at work for you and for your good. Even when you don't even know how to pray or what to pray, and and you can't even think about praying, God's own spirit is praying and interceding for you in the midst of your weakness, in the midst of your temptation, in the midst of your trial. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things, without exception, without qualification, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, God is always at work for your good. There's never a circumstance in which God is not doing that. Even if you can't see it right now, even if the temptation and trial is so constant, so strong, that you can't imagine it, it is still true in those moments. You see, Paul, he, he, he says it this way. You see, we, we kind of get shocked that we experience temptation and trial when we're walking with Christ as though, as though because we knew better, as though because we were walking with God, as though, as though because we were making better decisions now in life that we shouldn't have to walk through these kinds of things. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He says, flee from the worship of other things in place of God. He says, if you're thinking that I know Jesus, I'm walking with Christ, I'm making better decisions in life now, and I've got things figured out, then you need to take heed lest you fall because none of us is immune to this, to temptation and trials. We all experience it. It's common to man. It's common to humanity. This is part of what it looks like to live life in this world. But in the midst of that, God is faithful to bring us through, to provide a way of escape that we can trust in him and look to him in the midst of it and walk with him out of it. You see, this means that no matter what you're experiencing, you're not alone. This means that no matter what you're struggling with, Jesus understands. This means that no matter how hard and trying it is, God's spirit can lead you through it. And this means that no matter how pointless or confusing it may seem right now, God is up to something, and that something is for your good and for his glory and for eternity, not just the temporary. This is true even when we've lost a job or a marriage or a loved one and and we're not sure what life is supposed to look like. This is true when we're struggling constantly with sexual brokenness or addiction on a daily basis. It's also true when we're battling constant and assaulting anxiety or depression. It's true when our, our kids or our loved ones, our relatives, our family members, our friends are making poor choices that make it hard to be in relationship with them and hard to deal with. You see, because what we have to realize next is that temptation has spiritual purposes. That God is up to something in the midst of it. You see, James, uh, James clarifies a couple things for us uh, in a helpful way. He says this. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, James clarifies for us that though God's spirit leads us through temptation and uses temptation, he does not tempt us. God doesn't tempt anyone. The spirit leads us through temptation and he uses it for our good, for spiritual purposes in our lives. That's why it's so significant that Jesus, being full of the Spirit and returning from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit. There's a spiritual purpose to the temptation, Spirit with a capital S, that the Spirit of God is actually working something here and doing something. You see, there's a few different things that I think we can glean from this passage about what the Spirit does in the midst of temptation, what he teaches us. He teaches us to listen and rely on God's word alone like we see Jesus do in verses 3 and 4. He teaches us to love and worship God alone like we see Jesus do in verses 5 through 8. He teaches us to trust in God alone like we see Christ do in verses 9 through 12. You see, there's, there's three different kinds of temptation that we see happening in this passage. And the first one, look with me. At it here in verses three and four uh, is the temptation of comfort and pleasure, where we're tempted to provide for ourselves and pursue what we want rather than trusting in God's provision, pursuing His will for us. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So he knows Jesus is, is hungry. And so he says, Jesus, you've got the ability to do this. Just, just go ahead and feed yourself. What's the big deal? Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So what is the big deal about bread, though? I mean, bread's not bad, right? I mean, some of you, like, keto diet people out there are probably saying, no, it can be. I think bread's pretty good. I like bread a lot. Um, Jesus ate bread. Um, In fact, Jesus, even later on, is going to do some miraculous things with bread where he provides it for thousands of people. So, so there's nothing inherently bad about bread here. There's nothing wrong with it. And that's the thing about temptation a lot of the times, is, is the thing itself is oftentimes a, a good thing. But the problem is when it becomes ultimate. The problem is when good things become God things, because that's always a bad thing. When it takes the place of God in your life, when it becomes where you're seeking ultimate comfort, where you're seeking ultimate pleasure, when, when it becomes about you. You see, the, the big deal here is not about bread at all. The big deal is, is about Jesus' mission and what he's gonna do and, and who he's relying on as he heads to the cross. That's what Satan's trying to derail. He's trying to derail the mission of Christ so that what Jesus was going to accomplish for our salvation and our good would never happen. Satan, did, did you notice he questioned the sonship of Jesus? He says, if you're really the son of God, then just make some bread for yourself. I mean, just feed yourself, man, goodness. You're hungry, make some bread, you can do it. And so Satan questions the sonship of Jesus, his identity, attempting to derail the mission of Jesus, that by getting Jesus to do things for his pleasure rather than his father's, he would derail that mission entirely. Because Jesus isn't about his own will, he's about his father's. His will is not contrary to his father's. What he's seeking to do is what the father has planned from eternity past, He's seeking to head to the cross, to stand in our place. And so as he does this, he's going to rely on God's provision for him rather than seeking to use his own power for his own comfort and pleasure. You see, Jesus never does miracles for his own benefit. If you read throughout the Gospels, you won't find one that was for him. He was doing it for God's glory and the good of all the peoples of the earth who would trust in him and hope in him. This is what Jesus is about. He's about God's purposes. And the question is, is is Jesus going to remain faithful as the Son of God to God's will and God's plan? Because here's the deal, is that so far throughout Scripture, all of God's sons have been unfaithful. Do you remember some of the sons we talked about last week? Last week we, we mentioned how Adam is called the Son of God. Adam, this first son of God, he, he fails miserably. As soon as the serpent comes to him, as soon as Satan comes to him and, and offers something that he desires for his comfort, for his pleasure, he and his wife Eve, they, they take of it and they eat, even though God said it was the one thing that would destroy them. They, they take of it for their own purposes rather than God's purposes it and they become ultimate and central rather than God being ultimate and central. All of a sudden, it's no longer about God's will and and the task that God has given them and the status God has given them as image bearers of his, made to reflect his glory throughout all of creation. Instead, they abandon that status as sons and daughters and that mission so that they can, as Satan says, be like God. The irony is is that they were already made in God's image. And you're never more like God than when you're trusting in him and walking with him. You can't become more like God by walking away from him. By doing your own will rather than His. And so see, Adam and Eve, Adam as the first son of God. He abandons the mission and his status as the son of God. And then, then, we, then we read about Israel in the Old Testament. And Israel, I mean, goodness gracious, they were all sorts of messed up. Okay? They were very much like you and I. We think about all the problems in our lives, and then we go read in the Old Testament, we read about Israel, and we're like, oh my gosh. Israel was also called the son of God, and, and they were meant to be this light to the nations and, and this blessing to all the families of the earth. They had been given a status as God's son and a mission as sons. But instead of being about these things that God said would be true, they questioned God. They questioned his goodness. They rebelled against God, and they, they ended up wandering through the desert for 40 years and struggling with idolatry throughout their whole history. So Israel also failed as the son of God. And it's significant that they spent 40 years failing and questioning God. And Jesus spends 40 days being tempted. That's not, that's not unintentional. That number that Luke uses that, that he's illustrating here. He's trying to connect you with, with Satan coming to do the temptation. That Jesus is the new Adam who will be faithful where Adam wasn't. Where humanity could not be. And he's trying to connect Jesus to Israel. He's the new Israel. He is the beginning of the new people of God who will walk with God and trust in God. And he is the only way that that is possible. He's the only one who would be faithful where all of God's sons in the past haven't. Jesus is presented as the faithful son of God. And so the question for us is really, Who will you listen to in the midst of your struggle? Whose voice will be dominant? Will it be God or yours? Will it be God's voice or Satan's? Whose voice are you going to listen to when you're tempted and tried? Are you going to listen to Satan who says, "God God made you this way, so just take what you want? I mean, he put that in you. Just, just take it. you going to listen to, to God's voice who says, I made you this way so I know what you actually need. You see, God knows what you need better than your sexual or romantic d- desires do. God knows what you need better than your bank account or bills do. God knows what you need better than your thoughts and emotions do. God knows what you need better than you do. He made you. In Deuteronomy 8.3, which Jesus quotes in response to Satan's temptation here, it says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which is a kind of bread God provided for his people in the Old Testament, in the wilderness. It says, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. And then listen to the rest of the quote. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so Jesus' response to this temptation is, is, I don't find life in created things. I find life in God the creator. That's where humanity is meant to find life, is in the one who provides the bread the one who speaks words that can bring lasting and true life, whereas everything in creation can't. Then we see the second temptation of power and glory. There's this idea of glory without suffering. Look at what it says in verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So here's what Satan's promising. He's promising glory and a crown without a cross. Have you noticed how often in life that temptation and trials offer you something that that you want without the hardships that it usually takes to get it? That it offers something that you desire without any pain or suffering. That's that's the idea. Or at least minimal hardship, pain, or suffering. That you can have all the things you want and that life should just work the way you would like it to. and, And that these things, these negative things, hardship, pain, trial, suffering, that those can be minimal. Those shouldn't really be a part of life if God is blessing you. Yet Jesus promised that his followers, those who trusted him and walked with him, they would experience trouble in this world. They would experience trouble in this world because of the way this world actually is. It's opposed to God. It's opposed to the things of God. It's opposed to the things that are good and right and true, that are lasting. And it's focused on the temporary. It's focused on getting what I want right now focused on avoiding suffering and trials. Satan says, you can have all of this, Jesus, if you'll just worship me. You don't have to have that cross. You don't have to have that trial. You don't have to have that suffering. If you'll just worship me, I'll give you all the good things without any of the bad. And one, here's the first thing. You can't trust a liar. I mean, Satan's been lying to us from the garden, and we just continue to believe him. We continue to trust him, rather than trusting the one who has always told us the truth, who has always been about our joy and our good, and and, and ironically, our pleasure. Because here's the thing, God is about your greatest pleasure and your lasting pleasure, not a temporary pleasure that fades away and leaves you more depressed and more destroyed than you were before. Thirdly, Satan comes to Jesus with this test about safety and testing God's goodness. He says in verse nine, he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He says, Jesus, if you're actually the Son of God, then you can just throw yourself off off that temple and the angels are going to sweep you up. You're not even going to strike your foot on the ground. It won't even touch. He says, if you really believe this about you, Jesus, if you really believe you're the Son of God, then prove it. He says, because God won't let anything bad happen to you, if he actually cares about you, he won't let anything bad happen. And Jesus says that testing God's goodness is actually not believing God's goodness at all. Jesus says it's not good to test the Lord your God because in testing God's goodness, you are showing that you don't believe God's goodness that you don't believe he's in control, that you don't believe he's present, that you don't believe he has purposes in this that you might not understand. You see, we must not test God's love for us, but believe that he has our best in mind and humbly trust his control of the situations we find ourselves in, even when they seem to tell us something different and even when we can't understand what he's doing. Because the idea that we are finite and he is infinite means we won't understand a lot of what he's doing. Real quickly, these last two points. Temptation is fought with God's word. Did you see how Jesus responds every time with God's word? Every time. And then, he, he, here's the crazy part about it. Satan, the enemy, he, he actually, in the last temptation, he quotes the Bible. So he says, okay, Jesus, I see what you're doing. Let me throw a scripture out there. What about this one? You see, our enemy is not stupid. He's, in fact, I don't know if you know this, but he's been around longer than us, and he's probably smarter than us in some ways. He probably knows more Bible than you and I do. Right? And so Satan, the enemy, he will twist the scriptures for his own purposes and try to get you to believe lies using truth, taken out of context and applied in ways that are not right. This is why the Bible is used in such horrific ways throughout human history. It's why it was used to support slavery. It's why it's used to support the demeaning and subjugation of women and the abuse of women and children. This is why the Bible is sometimes used for horrific things because the enemy twists it and uses it for his own purposes. And that means you and I, we've got to get to know this. We've got to know this deeply. Because here's the thing, it's not, when when you face temptation and trial, just quoting a verse is not going to do it. Okay, Just knowing 1 Corinthians 10.13 or Deuteronomy 8.3 as verses we just read about how man lives by every word that comes from God's mouth and, and how no temptation is common to man and, and that God is, no temptation that you experience is not common to man, that God is faithful and he'll provide the way of escape. Just knowing those things and, and quoting it back at Satan and quoting it back at temptation, quoting it back at your deceitful desires, j- just quoting it once, it, it's not gonna extinguish it. You're trying to fight a, a raging fire with a squirt gun by knowing one verse and bringing it out when it's hard. It, it, it's not like, a, a, have you ever seen the, the duels in the Harry Potter movies where, where they start back to back and then they walk away and then they face each other and, the, and they cast a spell at each other? Okay? And they say an incantation that's meant to like throw their enemy flying. Verses of scripture aren't, don't work that way where you can, just, you can just quote, God is faithful, Satan, and he's providing the way of escape and then Satan just runs and gives up. That's not how it works. It's not an incantation you can use to conquer. Rather, it tells you about the conqueror. The one who in Luke 4 is faithful in temptation when we weren't. See, scripture has to be so ingrained in us, and it has to saturate us, and we have to be saturated in it so that what what comes out when we're in the hardship is truth. What comes out when we hear the lies is truth. Memorizing one verse when things start to get hard is not the idea here. It's that you are so living in scripture and hearing God's truth on a constant, consistent basis and getting to know him more through his word that whenever you face trials and temptations in life, all of a sudden you are already strengthened in the midst of your weakness. That it is so shaped you that this is the way you respond. But it—it's not just about. Let me get there to conclude. But the other thing is, temptation is temporary and timely. So, you, so you notice the devil leaves until an opportune time. That means that temptation you're walking through now, trial you're walking through now, pain you're experiencing now, difficulty—it does have an end, just like a storm does when the storm's really intense, when you're, when you're driving on the road. Every time I drive somewhere, when I go out of town, intense storm. And I'm just praying, God, would you just, would you just shut up the skies? Would you, would you just stop this so I can see what's in front of me? And the thing is, like, God has this way of ending the storm right when you need it to. And if it hasn't ended yet, he's still with you in it, still leading you through it. And it does have an end. The other thing is, that doesn't mean that that's the last storm. There's going to be opportune times where a storm comes again, where temptation sets in. And the question is, is not just have you learned to respond with God's word, but have you learned to rely on the Christ who is faithful in the midst of temptation who fought it on your behalf? Have you learned to rely on him rather than your own strength? Have you learned to trust in him rather than in your own wisdom? Have you learned to walk with him rather than heading your own way? You see, this is what we must learn from Luke 4 is that Jesus has battled temptation and won Whereas you and I, we so often fail. But we have a conqueror. We have a victor. We have one who provides us the victory over temptation. And if we will trust in him and walk with him, then his spirit will strengthen us as we do so and lead us through the temptations and trials of life. So the question is not, do you know enough Bible? The question is not, are you strong enough? In fact, you don't know enough Bible and you're not strong enough. The question is, you, do you trust the one who is strong enough and who has already proven it through his death and resurrection for you? Let's, let's pray. Father God, we are in desperate need of your son. We are in desperate need of your spirit to strengthen us and to help us trust him and to walk with him. God, we are in need of you to lead us and guide us. We are in need of the grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. So God, as we experience trial and temptation this week, would you help us? Would you be with us in our weakness? Would you strengthen us? And would you help us find the way of escape that is in Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us and his victory over sin, death, the enemy, and the grave. So, God, help us. It's in your glorious and mighty name we pray. Amen.